Welcome to episode number 40 of Talking Mopars and another installment of High Performance Heritage. Today we shine the spotlight on one of the most legendary figures in the world of Mopar. We are talking about the legend of Mr. Norm and Grant Spaulding Dodge. We're also talking about some possibilities for the Build Mopar project, and we have a listener-suggested high-performance parts segment. I'm also still organizing some of our remaining listener stories, so those are going to return next week. Folks, the new Talking Mopar studio is finally completely fired up and ready to go. So, without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. What's happening, friends? What a week. The fact that the Superstock Challenger, Hellcat, Durango, and the new Charger Red Eye wide body have been announced tell us what we already know, that this is a great time to be a Mopar enthusiast. I'm extremely excited that the Superstock Mopar legend has been revived, and this time around it's for the streets. I'm a big fan of the Hurst Superstock Hemi A bodies of 68, and this new Challenger Superstock is exactly what I didn't realize I wanted to see return so bad. What a fun surprise. And man, did you guys see the teaser pick from Jeep this week on Facebook? A 392 Wrangler or Gladiator seems to have been teased, and that's something that really got my attention. You know, what a crazy Mopar world we are living in. But I'll tell you what, if you missed the original muscle car era like I did, then we can all rejoice because this is without a doubt the second coming of factory high performance machines that we can call muscle cars. And I don't see things slowing down anytime soon, but what we all know is that all good things must come to an end. So my suggestion to all of you listening is soak it up and enjoy every minute that we have with these absolutely outlandish, massively overpowered and respected Mopars. And in other news, Chrysler's at Carlisle is over, sadly. And on one hand, I'm happy that it happened in the first place. And, you know, on the other, I'm bummed out that I couldn't attend. I hope that uh, those of you that did make it to Carlisle this year had a blast. And you know what? I want to hear all about it. So do me a favor. Send me an email, chris at talkingmopars.com, or leave me a voicemail message at 209-28-MOPAR and tell me about your experience. What was your favorite car at the show? You know, what was your favorite exhibit? And if any of you do that, we'll share it on next week's episode. But that's next week. Today, we are right here right now. So why don't we quit spinning these tires and let's get this show on the road. Friends, for Project Car of the Week this week, I wanted to talk about the most important Mopar Project Car build happening right now besides the one in your garage. That is the Build Mopar Cooperative Build Project. Now, you may be asking, Chris, what's Build Mopar? Well, in case you missed episode 39, that was last week's show for those of you in the slow lane, let me get you up to speed. Last week we had Talking Mopar's alumni and my friend Chuck McMurray from Hemipages.com back on the show, and this time he filled us in on his latest venture, the BuildMopar.com project. I'll give you a brief rundown, but it was an awesome episode and I suggest you check it out for the full meal deal. 
So the Build Mopar project is the first build of its kind, leaving the fate of the build in the hands of the Mopar community. That's us. That's you. That's me. That's everybody in the Mopar community. That means that we can all steer this project in whatever direction we want based on our votes for different aspects of this project in each of the different rounds of voting. So those rounds are a series of votes. And the first round of voting is going to be for what car will be built. And following this will be other decisions made by us, such as color, engine, power adders, suspension, wheels, tires, and more. This is an entire car build based on our votes as a community. How cool is that? The first round of voting is underway and closes on the 17th, so get your votes in right now. Stop what you're doing, go to buildmopar.com and cast your vote. But I suppose you need to know what the choices are, so let's check this out. The general concept behind this build, and to keep it relatively focused on a specific end goal, is pretty simple. Vintage Superstock era Mopar with a modern Mopar Hemi for the engine. The end result is going to be a car that the Hemi Pages team is going to send down the quarter mile at the Modern Street Hemi shootout in 2021, and we're all going to get a chance to see the results of our votes, the car that is built based on our decisions and you know what we want to see. We're going to be able to see you know, the car in action, which is really cool, and if you make it to a couple certain events in 2021, you get to see the car in person. How awesome is that? So with the first round of voting underway, we are voting on the car that's going to be built, and we have four vintage Superstock era Mopars to choose from, and they are a 1964 Dodge 330, a 1967 Dodge Coronet, a 68 Dodge Dart, and the sole Plymouth of the group, a 68 Barracuda. These are all great platforms to build, and as of right now, it seems like the Dart's in the lead, but... You know, don't get it twisted. Any of these cars would be an amazing choice. But a while back, and maybe I've mentioned this a couple times, but I've said that I have a desire to see a super stock Dart tribute, of course, with a modern Hemi, just to see how the vintage setup would perform with a modern Hemi powering it. So, you know, needless to say, I'm really pumped about this project and the way the votes are stacking up so far. If uh, things keep going the way they're going, I'm going to see, you know, what I've wanted to see. And that's a 68 Superstock Dart with a modern Hemi. That is, you know, I'm beyond words with how cool that would be. You know, especially since I don't have to spend the money. <laughs> you know, that's part of the cool part about this project is, you know, if there's ever a Superstock era Mopar that you wanted to put a modern Hemi in, but you don't have the money to do it, this is perfect because hopefully the build goes as you would want your build to go. That's what I'm hoping for. But there's more to this project than just the car and the engine. You know, we still have to think about suspension, wheels and tires, and whether this car will have some sort of power adder or not. And, you know, let's get into that. At first, you know, I thought I'd like to see a Hellcrate engine in a Superstock Dart tribute car, but the more I think about it, the more I want to see the capabilities of a 6.4. Um, it's not that I don't like the 5.7 Hemi either. I just, you know, I have one after all, but... I think the middle-of-the-road engine choice in the 6.4 would be the most interesting build. Of course, I'm curious to see how a 6.4 can handle a power adder, but, you know, which power adder would I want to choose? You know, you could go nitrous, you could go supercharger, procharger, you know, twin turbos, or a big single turbo. But this is where I can't decide. I'm not sure which direction I'd go if this was my project, and I'm not really sure which direction I want to vote, so I still have a lot of research to do, but... I'm going to have to keep thinking it over, but the idea of a boosted 6.4 intrigues me a lot. 
but let's play devil's advocate here and you know ask the question what are the limits of a naturally aspirated 6.4 hemi that might actually be pretty interesting too and as far as suspension goes i'm truly interested in how a car built to original super stock specs with the exception of the engine would work you know how would it all come together and would the combo actually work perfectly or will all hell break loose i'm not sure what to expect but i'm anxious to find out i'll tell you that much and when it comes to the wheels and tires you know being the nut that i am i'd love to see some big and little craggers on it you know little in the front or skinny skinny in the front and fatties in the rear that's what i want to see i'm a nut for craggers i love them i know a lot of people i posted on social media over the weekend that you know a lot of people think they're played out but to me craggers they symbolize muscle cars you know it's like the wheel of muscle cars if you say muscle car wheels most people you know that know muscle cars will think of you know a cragger everybody's got an opinion my opinion is when i see craggers i think muscle but that's me so basically you know back to the car i think that imagine dick landy's dart only with a modern hemi that's what i hope will be the outcome for this car you know save for the dick landy graphics but let me just say that my second choice would be a 68 Barracuda. I've always wanted a 67 to 69 Barracuda, and a few have slipped through my fingers, you know, in the past. So I would love to see one of those get built, but, you know, I have my heart set on the dart. And, you know, just sitting here thinking about it, seeing if you could crack off a nine flat and a quarter mile in an all-motor, naturally aspirated, fully built 6.4 based Hemi is very intriguing to me. You know, anyone could put down four-digit horsepower with a power adder like a turbo or a pro charger, or, you know, supercharger, nitrous. But what exactly are the limits when you start with a 6.4 as your base and then go nuts and naturally aspirated trim? You know, where is the limit with the 6.4? I don't know, but I want to find out. You know, could you imagine turning a nine flat and a quarter mile in an all-motor 6.4 based Hemi car, a Dart, you know, or Cuda, or you know, a Coronet or a Dodge 330, that would be awesome. And it would be a very interesting question to answer. You know, so that said, I'm not opposed to throwing some boost at it either. <laughs> you know, because who doesn't like four-digit boosted horsepower? You know what I mean? I love hearing the whine of a supercharger turbo screaming. I think it's really cool. And, you know, while the options do have their limits in this build, because there are a set of choices that you have to make, it's multiple choice, but you know, you have to pick one, you know, it's not just pick any car from, you know, Mopar history. It's, you know, you have a set field of choices and, you know, there are just a ton of intriguing possibilities in this build, but whatever the case may be, this is going to be an epic build. And I'm hoping the first of many like it. I hope this happens again and again, because it's just going to be fun, you know, throwing all of our opinions in a hat and seeing what comes out. You know, you have until the 17th to cast your votes on what car will be the one to get built. So I encourage you to head on over to buildmopar.com and show your support for this awesome project organized by hemipages.com. Your vote counts. That was Project Car of the Week. No Mopar left behind. Don't worry. We're going to get back to real Project Car of the Week next week. But I really wanted to emphasize that the buildmopar.com project is awesome and you need to participate. If you're listening to this show right now, you absolutely have to participate in this project. I told Chuck that I was going to do as much as I could to get as many votes as I could in there. And I know that there's hundreds, possibly even thousands of people listening to this right now. So you need to go to buildmopar.com and cast your vote. You have until the 17th, like I said. 
So, again, no Mopar left behind. Okay, folks, no listener story today per se, but I am going to play a message from a coworker of mine who at one point used to be the proud owner of a Dodge Demon with the tried and true leaning tower of power, the indestructible Slant 6. And he also just so happens to be a listener of this show. His name is Mike Fucci, and he prompted this week's high-performance part. Take it away, Mike. Hey, Chris. It's Mike Fucci, man. I tried calling you last week uh, for your high-performance parts. Check out the movie uh, Phantasm. I don't know if you already put this on there or not. I haven't listened to all your episodes. But uh, they feature a 1971 Cuda in there. I'm pretty sure it's 383. I could be wrong. But... um, yeah, check it out, man. It's a badass car. It's got the pistol grip, too. Anyway, check out the movie. It's actually pretty good. Later. All right, Fuji. First of all, thanks for calling in and participating in the show. Phantasm Cuda has really been back on the forefront of cool movie Mopars since being featured so prominently on Graveyard Cars and having a car built as a tribute to it. Listen, buddy. The car is awesome. It is badass. 71 Cuda, black, custom fender flares, craggers. I mean, what's not to like? And how could you possibly go wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? The only thing I could say bad about the car is that it was actually a 340 small block car, up-badged as a 446 barrel car. Um, it was also originally FC7, which is uh, also known in the Dodge world as Plum Crazy and in the Plymouth world as Inviolet. So it was a purple car from the factory, and it was painted black and had custom gray and blue pinstripes. And of course, no iconic CUDA would be complete without a Hurst 4-speed pistol grip shifter. And the car even had an aftermarket sunroof installed to add to that, you know, the custom 70s theme. But overall, a truly cool CUDA with the right custom touches done to achieve the desired effect, which was simply a badass street machine. Thanks again, Mike, for the message. And hey, I'll see you at work, buddy. That was High Performance Parts. When it comes to the high-performance heritage of Mopars, there are quite a few names that every Mopar enthusiast should know. These people played such an important role in Mopar history that it's super important that we honor them for the positive impact they had on the Mopar culture that we all know and love, and that some of us even live by. The man I'd like to honor on this episode of High Performance Heritage is a Mopar legend, Someone who really needs no introduction and someone who is most definitely on my Mount Rushmore of Mopar. That man is Norm Kraus, but most know him as Mr. Norm. He has known the Mopar world over for his famous dealership on the corner of Grand and Spalding in Chicago, Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the legend of Mr. Norm and Grand Spalding Dodge. The legend of Mr. Norm starts in Chicago in the year 1948, long before Norm Kraus was known as Mr. Norm. A then 16-year-old Norm Krause, along with his brother Len, started selling used cars at their father Harvey's gas station, which was located on the corner of Grand and Spalding. Their business had grown enough by 1951 that they had purchased the property next door on Grand Avenue to use as a car lot, and the gas station was used to service the cars. Five years had passed, and in 1956, the brothers noticed a huge interest in performance cars after they had placed an ad in the newspaper for a Chevy convertible equipped with a V8 and a manual transmission. The large amount of interest that the ad had generated indicated to the brothers that there was a ton of potential in the sales of performance cars. With that revelation, they decided to go all in on the performance car market 
and focused their energy on marketing their car lot as a high-performance dealership. They bought up all the performance cars they could get their hands on and began building a reputation among hot rodders. The name Mr. Norm actually originated from the original newspaper advertisements that the brothers ran because they wanted to save a little coin by using less letters in their ad because of limited ad space, and thus, the name stuck and the legend of Mr. Norm was born. Sometimes a marketing campaign just works, and that's exactly what happened with Mr. Norm's. Word around Chicago quickly spread that Mr. Norm was the guy you wanted to see if you were looking for a high-performance car. As their reputation and sales numbers grew in the next few years, the opportunity to become a new Dodge dealership presented itself to the brothers. It wasn't until 1962 that the brothers pulled the trigger and became the newest Dodge dealer around specializing in high-performance cars aimed at youth performance enthusiasts. The main selling point in becoming a Dodge dealer after several opportunities were presented to the brothers was the introduction of the Max Wedge engine, which we're going to cover in a future episode, so look forward to that. In October of 1962, Mr. Norm's Grand Spalding Dodge was born. By 1963, a new showroom and service department had been constructed, and Mr. Norm's Sport Club was introduced. Each new high-performance car that was sold at Grand Spalding Dodge was tuned up for performance. They received a rejetting of the carb and a recurved distributor with lightweight springs with a timing advance at a mere 800 RPM for maximum performance. The cars were then dyno-tuned, simulating track conditions to maximize performance even further on one of the first dynos to be installed in a dealership service department. These cars were absolutely ready to run, and purchasing one gave you exclusive membership to Mr. Norm's Sport Club. Being a member got you the ever-famous Mr. Norm's Dino Tune decals, a Grand Spalding emblem on the trunk, and a license plate frame to let the competition know exactly where they stood after you left them in the dust. You also got to look forward to monthly member newsletters that kept you up to speed on all of the latest at Grand Spalding, and even included a subscription to Drag News since chances were you were interested in drag racing if you purchased a car for Mr. Norm. Sales doubled in 1964, and that doubling trend would continue for another seven years. The first Grand Spalding race team was created also, and they were running a Max Wedge and a Hemi car. The volume coming in and out of Mr. Norm's even required them to double the size of the service department. Not a bad problem to have. This year would also mark the start of radio ads, which would be heard not only in Chicago, but all around the country. 1965 would be another monumental year for Mr. Norm's, because it would be the year that Mr. Norm would join forces with Gary Dyer, and begin match racing in what would become the fastest funny car in the country by clocking an 863 at Lions Dragway. The car was a supercharged Hemi with an altered wheelbase. That car would end up joining several other legends and paving the way for funny car classes in drag racing. 1966 would mark the year that Mr. Norms would become the largest high-performance Dodge dealer in the country, and a parts and service department that were also considered to be the largest in the country. They even had to install a second dyno just to keep up with the madness. In 1967, Grand Spalding would receive an expansion, and Mr. Norm would make a big move by shoehorning a 383 big block into a Dodge Dart after Dodge said that it couldn't be done. I did an episode featuring the story behind Mr. Norm's big block Dart, so please refer back to episode 2 for that. The first 440-powered Dart would also become a reality under the name GSS, which stood for Grand Spalding Sport, in 1968, which would lead to the development of factory M-code A-bodies. Grand Spalding would also expand yet again. 1969 saw a big win with the Grand Spalding Dodge Supercharger claiming the Coca-Cola Cavalcade of Stars Championship, and the continued success of Mr. Norm's would result in another expansion in 1970. 1971 would be the next year for a Mr. Norm GSS car, which would come in the form of a 346-pack Dodge Demon, which would lead into more craziness in 1972 with Mr. Norm's supercharged 340 Demon GSS. Another expansion came in 1972, and Grand Spalding became third place in sales volume in the country, 
only to be bested by the following year, 1973, where they moved up to the second place position. As the muscle car era started to slow down, Mr. Norm bet on vans and expanded again, resulting in them achieving the title of the number one largest Dodge dealership on planet Earth in 1974. By 1975, fleet sales had soared, but unfortunately, two years later, Mr. Norm sold his share of Grant Spalding Dodge, ending the Mr. Norm era. Twelve years later, Mr. Norm would cement his status as Mopar legend when he was inducted into the Mopar Hall of Fame in 1989. Some of Mr. Norm's other accolades include his induction into the AFX Funny Car Hall of Fame, the Mopar Action Magazine Lifetime Achievement Award, his induction into the Supercar Showdown Hall of Fame, his induction into the Route 66 Cruisin' Hall of Fame, his induction into the Hall of Fame at Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, and I'm sure he's going to be adding to that list as time goes on. Mr. Norm is a legend amongst legends. That's the absolute best way to describe him. For people like myself, Mr. Norm is a representative of who we'd all like to think we'd be if we opened our own Dodge dealership. I know I think about what a modern-day Mr. Norm's Grand Spalding Dodge would be like. But until someone makes it a reality, the idea will simply live amongst all the other crazy ideas in my head. Without entrepreneurs like Mr. Norm, who push boundaries and seize opportunities, the world would be a pretty dull place. We as Mopar enthusiasts were lucky that Mr. Norm and his brother Len went with Dodge and not one of the other two big Detroit automakers. Mr. Norm and his Grand Spalding Dodge dealership are legendary in the world of Mopar, and for that, he should be honored and thanked for his contribution to our beloved Pentastar culture. So thank you, Mr. Norm, from me and all the other true die-hard Mopar enthusiasts who recognize how much of an impact you've had on the high-performance heritage of Mopar. Before we close up shop here, I gotta tell you guys about something crazy that I saw over the weekend on Craigslist of all places. Now, this could very well have been Project Car of the Week, but, you know, we're just gonna have a little brief discussion about it. I try to check the local Craigslist ads, you know, once a day. But sometimes, you know, I get busy and other things happen. And over the weekend, I ended up going, oh, I haven't checked Craigslist. So I checked some local listings and a new car had popped up. And it was a 1970 Dodge Charger project car for $10,000 that ran and drove. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the marketplace lately, but Finding any 1968 to 1970 Dodge Charger for under $10,000 is hard enough, let alone to find one that runs and drives. So this guy gets this car to work on with his kid and rebuild with his kid. Well, his kid lost interest and doesn't have time, so now he's selling it, right? So I freak out, but when I get to the ad, it's one of those ads where in the title he puts sold. So I was like, oh my God, and it said $10,000. So I'm like, I got to check this out anyway. So I check it out and, you know, he says, sorry about, you know, not getting back to a lot of you. I had over a hundred messages and calls or whatever, and he sold the car. So I'm looking at this ad and I'm looking at this car and I'm like, God, this thing looks pretty solid. I can see seats in it and, you know, it's sitting on some staggered, nice looking American torque thrust wheels. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, $10,000, this has to be, you know, BS. <laughs> you know what I mean? But apparently it's real. Apparently it got sold. And apparently it sold for $21,500. That's according to Facebook. And, you know, that that's insane, folks. <laughs> you know? 
$10,000, gets bid up to $21,500, you know, and I originally had posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, I was like, hey, look, guys, there's still deals to be had out there, but apparently I was wrong. But even then, at $21,500, I've seen basket case chargers go for $20,000, you know what I mean, that were nowhere near running and driving. You know, it's not uncommon to see rollers that need all sorts of metal work for, you know, 15000 or right around in that area, fifteen to 20000 So whoever got this car got a pretty good deal, at least by today's standards, because like I said, it's really hard to find those cars running and driving for less than $20,000. So, you know, whoever bought it got it for twenty one five. I think they got a pretty good deal. Like, I wouldn't be mad at that deal, but for ten grand. Man, I can only imagine how many calls and how many emails this guy was getting. You know, he was probably just like, wait a second, did I, did I, uh, lowball my own price here? <laughs> you know, 10 grand, I just, I couldn't even believe it. You know what I mean? It's just one of those cars that, you know, when it pops up, you gotta, you're either first or you're last. And everybody but the guy who bought it for 21.5 is apparently last. But I'm curious to know how many calls it took before the bidding war started to happen or what happened. Maybe he saw, you know, I had a hundred calls. Maybe I should raise the price on this thing, but whatever the case may be, there still are cars out there for decent deals. This one got bid up a little high, but you know, it just goes to show if you're in the right place at the right time. Could you imagine being the first guy to call this guy? And he's like, yep, 10,000 man. Like, you're running to your little safety deposit box or, you know, your hole in the ground where you buried all your cash and you're getting that money quicker than, you know, than you've ever gotten money before just to get that deal. But I thought it was cool. And, you know, I'm kind of pumped because that just goes to show you, like I said, that there are still deals out there. So be ready so you don't have to get ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you've got, you know, that kind of money laying around. You know, I would suggest not having it in the bank. I would suggest getting a safe, a fireproof safe, putting it somewhere secure in your house so that if a deal like this comes up, you don't have to go to the bank. You don't have to do anything. You call a guy and say, I've got 10,000 cash right in my hand right now. Let me come get the car. You know what I mean? So it's all about being in the right place at the right time and having the right amount of money. So don't get discouraged, folks, and be ready. That's my advice. But moving on, let's not forget to go to buildmopar.com to cast your vote for the car that will be outfitted with the modern Hemi to compete at the Modern Street Hemi Shootout in 2021, and tell your Mopar buddies to do the same thing. Your votes matter. Let's spread the word for our friends over at Hemi Pages and get as many votes in on this project as possible. Let's get thousands, let's get tens of thousands, let's get hundreds of thousands, heck. Let's go for a million. What do you say? Help me out, help them. And, you know, hopefully we can all come up with something really cool and we can all see what it is capable of at the Modern Street Hemi Shootout 2021. All right. There you have it, folks. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox at 209-28-MOPAR and you might get the chance to hear yourself on the show. 
And also, hey, don't forget, if you went to Carlisle, tell me about your experience. I want to hear all about it. So send those messages to me. And folks, I know I've told you this a few times now, but I'm going to remind you again. We now have merch in the Talking Mopars merch shop. You can purchase cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. So if you want to help support the show, represent the Talking Mopars tribe, and, you know, get some cool stuff at the same time, go to TalkingMopars.com and check out the merch shop. All right? That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.